Now let us turn to the Word of God, to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 17. In words that you will find in verse 32. Luke 17, verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. These words, remember Lot's wife. Now the section of scripture in which these words appear speaks of the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans which took place in AD 70. But it also speaks of the ultimate destruction of the universe as we know it. The word of God makes it very clear that the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burnt up. And that will take place at the coming of the day of God. The heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And we are living in a day in which we're all very conscious of destruction and disaster. Sometimes at a local level and other times at a large scale level. We hear of earthquakes and of famines, we hear of plane crashes, we hear of wars, and many are living in dread of a holocaust. And the passage in which our verse tonight occurs is a passage that reminds us of how God in the past destroyed civilizations. He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and in the days of Noah he destroyed the world as it then was. But we are called upon in these words before us this evening to learn lessons from the past and without wishing to enter into any idle speculation concerning the imminency, that's the nearness, of the destruction of the universe and of the reconstitution of the new heaven and the new earth in which righteousness dwells, yet the fact remains that man in every age is called upon by God to consider where he stands in relation to God in the light of the great eternity. The scriptures make it clear that we are all either in Christ or out of Christ. 
But we're either on the road that leads to heaven or on the road that leads to hell. And the scriptures warn us constantly against loving this world and giving our all for it. The scripture reminds us that there is a world to come for which we must prepare. In the words of the Old Testament prophet, be prepared to meet thy God. And in the words of our Saviour in our text tonight, remember Lot's wife. Now there are many so-called scholars who dismiss this story as a myth. But it is a story in which Christ believed, a story which Christ took as being historically factual. And it is an incident that occurred in human history from which Christ would have men and women, boys and girls, in every age, learn vitally important lessons. It's a short verse, but it's a very solemn and a very searching verse of Scripture. And I would like this evening to look at the verse with you and to consider it under four headings. As we seek tonight to obey the instruction of Jesus Christ and to remember Lot's wife. We will see first of all that her conscience appeared to be awakened. But that wasn't enough to save her. We see too that the angels wanted her husband to convince her of her need of leaving the city of destruction behind and how she is constrained up to a point. She's carried along so far but not far enough. And thirdly, we will see that the very angels themselves constrained her to get out of the city. And lastly, we'll see that for all the conviction that she knew and the constraints that she experienced, she stands condemned in the word of God. And she stands as a reminder for us in all ages of the necessity of preparing to meet him. And so we look at the incident from these perspectives tonight. And the first thing that we will notice is this, that when she hears the message of the ultimate destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, she is not unconcerned about what she hears. She doesn't mock as her sons-in-law do. She doesn't in any way react to it in a way that perhaps we would criticize. In fact, she appears to accept 
at face value at least, the message that comes to her. We read that to Lot's sons-in-law, this all appeared, the words of Lot appeared to be merely pretentious words. He seemed unto his sons-in-law as one that mocked, but not so to her. She seems even to be awakened and alarmed. And she goes out of the city with these words ringing in her ears. Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. She is aware of the events of the previous evening and of the message that the angels had brought. And she, at this stage, as she leaves the city, seems to be ready for salvation. But as the narrative proceeds, we discover that all her early promise comes to nothing. Although she appears so promising, and although she appears to be delivered, at the end of the day, as we know, she ended up lost. And I believe that there are several things there for us to consider tonight. Our consciences may be stirred as we sit week by week under gospel preaching. But we must go beyond having a troubled conscience if we're going to be saved for all eternity. It's perhaps even more alarming if we can sit under the gospel without even being troubled. If we can remain as the men of Sodom remained or as Lot's sons-in-law remained. That is even more alarming. We continue as if there was no God in it. We continue as if there was to be no destruction at the end of life's journey. Over the years, we hear message upon message, reminding us of the necessity of getting right with God and of being prepared for eternity, and yet for so many, a deaf ear is turned to what is said. And this very passage in which our verse tonight is to be found tells us that as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be when the ultimate destruction is at hand. Jesus tells us that as in the days of Noah and of Lot, they ate and drank, they married, they bought, they sold, they planted, and they built it. Even so shall it be in the time that Jesus is speaking about here. And so there are many who are so caught up with the things of the world that they can't 
and won't listen to the voice of God. And I would say tonight that whether you are rejecting or only neglecting this salvation which is offered to you in Jesus Christ, there can be no escape for you. It may be that in our congregation tonight, few of us would say that we're rejecting the message and the offer of salvation out of hand. Few of us would perhaps identify ourselves with the men of Sodom or even with the sons-in-law of Lot. Few of us would believe that what we're hearing from the pulpit is something we should laugh at and mock at. Few of us, hopefully none of us, would classify ourselves in that kind of category. And yet for all that, there are so many in all our congregations who go on throughout their lives neglecting so great salvation. And the question comes to all who are in that category tonight, how shall you escape? And as you know, that question answers itself. In the light of God's word, there can be, there is, there shall be no escape. And so tonight, if you find yourself among those who are turning a deaf ear to the word of God, your situation in a sense is even worse than was the situation in which Lot's wife finds herself at the beginning of our narrative. Of course, there will be those who think that the preacher is simply out to frighten the folks, to con them. And they ask, how can you prove to us that these things are true? Some speak of tornadoes of the pulpit going all out to terrorize the timid. And sometimes it may be that that kind of motive lies behind some of our preaching. Because men and women need to be afraid of the God with whom we all have to do. Men and women, boys and girls, yes, boys and girls, need to be shaken up out of their state of spiritual lethargy to a realization of the fact that there is a God and that God means what he says when he calls on all who hear his word to flee from the wrath to come. And so we ask tonight, do we believe the message that comes to us? Well, from the story of Lot and his family, we discover that it's even possible for us to take the message seriously. Lot, the man of God, believed what he was told. And yet, yes, Lot, the man of God, lingered in Sodom. He lingered there until the angels constrained him to quit the city. 
is there a Christian tonight who's lingering where he, where she should not linger? The word of warning comes your way and mine, if that's our situation this evening. But our main limit tonight is not so much to remember Lot as to remember Lot's wife. And it becomes clear as Lot's wife leaves the city and looks behind her that she has no real longing, no real desire to get out of the city of destruction. And it's the same as the gospel is preached. We may appear to have a desire to find God. We may seem to others, perhaps even to ourselves, to be awakened. But there is a difference between what one might call natural alarm and that awakening which the Spirit of the living God himself brings about in the mind and heart of those whom he saves. There are those tonight who say to themselves, peace, peace, when God says there is no peace. There are those tonight who turn a deaf ear to what God himself is saying. There are those here tonight who have never seriously addressed themselves to the words that fall in our text this evening from the lips of our Lord. Remember Lot's wife. We may be alarmed on occasion. We may go through illness. We may experience bereavement. We may know what it is to have God put us in a corner. I'm sure there are many here who have sent up an SOS when they found themselves with their backs to the wall. And we know that when we're in danger and we're aware of it, that many of us cry out to the God whom we so often leave out of our considerations. But when the storm subsides, when the crisis is over, what are we like then? Do we still call on the name of the Lord when things are going well? Or do we then forget and go on in our own self-sufficiency? What I'm saying in a word is this, that we can send up an SOS in a crisis and come out of that crisis as hard and cold and immovable as the pillar of salt into which Lot's wife quite literally turned. And so we may be stayed in our consciences and yet be lost forever. And we're to remember that lesson from the story of Lot's wife. But we see next that in our passage tonight, the angels wanted Lot, her husband, to tell her to quit the city. 
to take her out of Sodom. Now, it seems as if Lot didn't do as he was told. The angel said, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, he dilly-dallied. And it was the men who laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters. Though he dilly-dallied, the Lord showed him mercy. That's what we're told. The Lord being merciful unto him. And it was the angels who brought him forth and who set him without the city. And although she is taken out of the city of Sodom, sadly, she never makes it to the city of Soar. She never makes it to the place where salvation is assured. And although we can say in our passage tonight that Lot failed even in the duty that God gave him to do, yet it's clear again from Scripture that God often uses his own people to speak to others about their need of getting out of Sodom. In fact, the thought occurs in one's mind that this is a privilege that the believer only has this side of glory. There are no lost souls in glory for us to warn and for us to tell about the salvation that is ours in Christ. But there are plenty lost souls in Stormway and plenty lost souls in our island and in our nation to whom we are commissioned to go with this great gospel, to go tell the lost that God sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world, but so that the world through him might be saved. And when we study the scriptures, we see on many occasions how God uses others to bring men and women to himself. We go to the Old Testament and we think of how Ruth was constrained to go out with Naomi, her mother-in-law, all the way to Bethlehem. Through Naomi, Ruth appears to have been one for God. Then we move into the Gospels and we see the four men who brought the paralytic to Jesus Christ. We read of that wifey at the well, that Samaritan woman who didn't have much academic know-how. She had no theological experience or expertise, but she'd just met the Saviour. She'd just met Jesus. She'd just come to know Jesus as the Christ of God. And what is she constrained to do without ever going to college? She's constrained to go to the men of her village and to tell them of Jesus. And we read in that lovely portion of the New Testament how the men came and how the men saw and how the men heard and how the men believed 
and how the men testified. We know for ourselves that this is indeed the Christ, the Saviour of the world. God used such as them to bring others to himself. And yet having said that, we hear the words of Jesus addressed to many who flocked to him in his own day. Many of them in religious garb. Oh, generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? We may know what it is here tonight to be moved when others come to know God. Maybe we've seen a loved one saved by the power of the Almighty One. And maybe it's aroused within ourselves some kind of desire to get to know this God as well. It may be that we've even been persuaded to go so far with those whom we know have found Jesus Christ. We've been aware, perhaps, of some anxiety concerning these things. But the question that arises tonight for that kind of passion is this. Will you go all the way? Will you go all the way? Or will you turn back? God said elsewhere, let us arise and go up to Bethel. That's to the house of God. And I will meet there, said the man of God, an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. And there are many who by the power of God go all the way, as Ruth went with Naomi. But there's another side to that coin. Orpah turned back to her own people, to her own gods, to her own destiny. King Agrippa, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost persuaded now to believe. Almost persuaded Christ to receive. Seems now some soul to say, Go, Spirit, go thy way. Some more convenient day on thee I'll call. Another put it off till a more convenient season would arrive. And there's no word in Scripture of that season ever arriving. And so we say, almost persuaded, come, come today, almost persuaded, turn not away. Jesus invites you here. Angels are lingering near. Prayers rise from hearts so dear. Oh, wanderer, come. Almost persuaded, harvest is past. Almost persuaded, 
Doom comes at last, almost cannot avail, almost is but to fail. Sad, sad, that bitter wail, almost but lost. Is there any such soul in our midst this evening? We can refer to incidents in history and indeed in very recent days that further speak to us of the necessity of going all the way in our going after God. This island itself was being remembered by so many so very recently. New tragedy on its own shores 70 years ago. And there are many of us here tonight who had relatives on board that fated ship. Many of us here tonight have relatives who died on the very shores of our own island whilst others were saved. And only a week ago tonight, as we all know so tragically, that Boeing 737BT-92 just failed to reach the runway, just failed to make it, and many were lost. And I cite these examples in order to seek to drive home to one and all the necessity of going all the way and of not stopping short of finding salvation. Now, of course, it may be that there are those in our midst tonight of whom it is true not only that they haven't gone all the way, but that they've never even taken one step in the sense of desiring salvation. Hopefully there are few in our congregation, but there are many, perhaps in the town, who completely reject the gospel and all that it stands for. And if tonight you're here in that category, and if tonight you're hot and bothered about the fact that maybe some of your loved ones have found Jesus and you're annoyed about it and your deepest desire is that, that none of them would be Christians. Perhaps, for example, among the children, largely due to an ignorance that most of us can identify with. There may be occasions when the so-called strictures of Christian religion may make us wish that we belonged to a family where there were no such restrictions. But hopefully for all of us here tonight who may be of that mind, that ignorance will be dispelled. But the Gospel tells us that that will be the effect that it will have on families down through the ages. Christ came to send daughter against mother, 
and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And the scripture makes it clear, and this is all I intend saying on this point, that if we're rejecting the Lord's people, we're rejecting the Lord himself. And if there is a bitterness in our hearts towards the people of God, then that's indicative of a bitterness of heart towards God too. Saul of Tarsus, going to Damascus, bent on exterminating all Christians from off the face of the earth, is met by Jesus with the words, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Whatever we think of our loved ones and of their faith, whether we're carried along so far by them, or whether we reject what they have to say altogether, as Lot's sons-in-law did, the end result will be the same. Destruction and doom, unless we arrive in Soar, unless we arrive in the city of salvation. But there is a third point to which I would like to draw our attention tonight. And it's this, that she's not only to be carried so far by her loved ones, but even the angels of God are employed in constraining her to leave the city. The men laid hold, not only on Lot's hand, but also on the hand of his wife. And that reminds us that as the gospel is proclaimed to us, it's God who's addressing us. And it's God who's knocking at our door. Whether it be as we sit under the preached word, or whether it be as we reflect on our own individual providence, it is still God who speaks. It is God who addresses us. It is God who is calling for our attention. Because at last the message that comes to us is not a message that comes from man, but a message that comes in spite of all the incompetence of the preacher from God himself. Of course there may be those who know little of God addressing them either in his word or in his providence. There are those who remain so ignorant as to plead what almost amounts to their own innocence and who cannot for the life of them understand how God can be just in their condemnation. There may be others who, like the men of Sodom, for all that they hear or don't hear, go on in their merry way, go on as they went on, paying no attention to God and to his word. They prefer the counsels of the ungodly to that which God is saying to them. They may even be found in a service such as this, apparently making use of what we call the means of grace, 
but in reality abusing them by perhaps even falling asleep under the preached word. But we thank God that he's even able to do our work in that kind of life. Some of us know of those who went to church one evening and sat in the back seat and asked the person beside them to wake them up when the minister was finished and promptly fell asleep. And the service went on and with a few minutes to go they woke up and the words that rang in their ears as they woke was this you might sleep in church but there's no sleep in hell and God was to use that word from himself to bring such a soul to himself now without advocating that anyone fall asleep in church I simply mention the incident in order to encourage us to continue preaching to and praying for even that kind of individual. But what we have in our passage tonight is somebody who is constrained by the very angels to make a move out of Sodom. And that reminds us that we may outwardly as God speaks through his word, reform our lives, turn religious, which is not the same as becoming a Christian necessarily, conform outwardly to everything that people expect of us, and yet go no further. We go so far that we don't go far enough. We leave the city behind, outwardly that is, as Lot's wife did. But the city remains in our hearts. Our heart is still there. We may perhaps be of that group of men and women who have heard the gospel for years, have accepted what it said, but who despair of ever finding salvation. And we stop striving. We stop seeking after God, if we ever started, and we end up lost. Or we may belong to that group, that sad group, who think we've arrived, who imagine that we're safe enough, who then rest on our laurels, take our ease. And the word of God says, woe to them that are at ease in Zion. We only rest in the Lord. We daren't rest in anyone else or in anything else. We may belong to that group who think that it's too tough being a Christian. It's too hard. We count the cost and we go back. We're like pliable and we don't go the whole way. We count the cost of becoming a Christian in terms of this world, but what about counting the cost of eternity? What about that? 
Should that not make us think twice? To be startled is not to be saved. We must, by the grace of God, embrace Christ, the Christ with whom God has made an everlasting covenant, the God in whom and through whom salvation is to be experienced. And so the question arises tonight, what think ye of Christ? God's escape route from doom to heaven, from hell to heaven. What do you think of God's way of escape, of God's salvation, when he himself tells us concerning Jesus that there is salvation in none other? Neither is there any other name given under heaven among men, whereby we must be saved. We're not to be presumptuous, but we're to praise God that by his mercy we can be his children. Having said all that, perhaps even tonight we're here and God has spoken and our door has been knocked upon and yet that's all. We can be condemned having gone through such experiences even as Lot's wife is condemned in our passage. Why is she condemned? Because she disobeyed the word of God. She paid no heed to it. And if you go to the Sermon on the Mount you discover there Jesus speaking of the man who builds his house on rock and of the man who builds his house on sand. And Jesus explains what he's saying there by telling us that the man who builds his house on the rock is the man who hears the word and hates it and practices it in his life. The man who builds on sand is the man who hears the word but disregards it and fails to apply it to himself. And when the storms come, the house on the rock stands firm and the house on the sand falls down. And it's like that here. She disregards the word of the Lord. She looked back and she knew it was wrong to do so. Because we read that she looked back from behind him. She thought her husband wasn't seeing her. Maybe he wasn't. But another was. Her husband's eye may not have been upon her. Her daughters, her daughters may not have been watching her. She sneakily glances behind her and God sees her. And God moves into immediate action. And God turns her into a pillar of salt. Now we're not going to speculate tonight on the many reasons that may lie behind Lord's wife looking back. But we're reminded by what happens of the goodness and of the severity of God. Behold therefore the goodness and the severity of God on them which fell severity but toward thee goodness if thou continue in his goodness otherwise thou also shall be 
cut off. She'd been warned against disobeying. She'd disregarded the warning. She'd made light of the word of God. She looked back with this consequence. Because her looking back was nothing short of outright rebellion. And rebellion against God always results, if we persevere in it, in our ultimate condemnation and destruction. And so, in this story, we are reminded of the necessity of forgetting these things which are behind, whatever they are, however precious they may have been to us, and reaching forth unto those things which are before of pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Roger Bannister was the first man to run a mile in under four minutes. Three months later, John Landy broke his record by 1.4 seconds. Three months after that, the two of them met together for what was an historic race. As they moved into the last lap, the other contestants were trailing far behind. Landy was ahead. It looked as if he would win, but as Landy neared the finish, he was haunted by the question, where is Bannister? As he later reviewed the race for a newspaper reporter, Landy said, if I hadn't looked back, I would have won the race. He never won because he looked back. Lot's wife looked back from behind and she never made it to soar. She never came alive again. We may never be alarmed again by the message that has perhaps alarmed us so often. My spirit shall not always strive with men. That was spoken in the days of Noah, and the men of whom it was spoken were destroyed. No man wearied, having put his hand to the plough, and looking back, that's to the things behind, is fit for the kingdom of God. Remember, it's that same Christ who is telling us in this world tonight to remember Lot's wife who calls on us to follow him. God forbid that any of us, and yet it's almost inevitable that some of us will be, of them who draw back unto perdition. God grant that all of us be of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Tonight, the two roads are set before us. If we're claiming to have started out on the road that leads to life, let us persevere by the grace of God to the end, for he that persevereth to the end shall be saved. But says God, if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure 
in him. What about ourselves tonight? Are we prepared to go God's way and by his grace continue in his way until we arrive in heaven and home? May God constrain us all to go all the way with himself for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let us pray. There comes a time we know not when, a place we know not where, that seals the destiny of men for glory or despair. O God, having heard the message you addressed to us by thyself tonight, may we remember Lot's wife, and may we realize that the story that we have been studying together is one that is of relevance as far as we ourselves are concerned, and indeed of relevance for every society in every age, and for every man, woman, and child in every age as well. Help us then tonight to remember Lot's wife. Help us to flee from the wrath to come, and not to rest until we know that our rest is indeed in Jesus and in his finished work. Lord, grant it for each one of us, for thy glory's sake alone. Amen.